Godbu, writer, journalist, proud shit disturber. I'm Michael Cass, an artist, and I don't have as many lofty titles as Neil. This is everything. Everything. I can get a test from you. Because a young man ain't got nothing in the world these well, days. Well, good thing that's really low. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm ornery. I'm cranky. Why I'm are bitch- you ornery I, and cranky? I don't know, man. I have no idea. I. There ain't no cure for the summertime blues. <sighs> that's a good one. You like that? You like how I did Because I thought you were going to start with the summertime and the living is easy. You well, no, up. you're ornery, I'm so ornery. I got to go for, you know, ain't no cure for the summertime blues. I guess it's... I don't know what it is. You know, you know, you're just getting into a funk, right? However, is it the heat? It could be the heat. It could be, it could be just because people. 25 in Prince George. Well, actually, low 20s is everybody's. It's so hot. No, when it gets 25 and above, I think I get a little. But I'm like, I have AC at home, so no excuse. Yeah, see, I, I can't don't, use I, the heat. I, I I don't have AC at home, but I'm also right. I spent my teenage years and my a lot of my mid 20s. Uh, well, I didn't move to Prince George. How old was I? I moved. I was 31 when I moved to Prince George. So I spent most of my 20s, once I got out of university, in the Okanagan as well. So I, I, I need 30 before it's hot. 20 to 30 for me is just a, you know, a warm day. And I can't believe that I, like, I, I, like, I never remember it being this hot or hot when i was living in toronto hot and humid yeah but toronto's like, horrible the i know i know but i don't remember i don't re- i don't know if it was because you know it, it's like it was you, summertime it's, and i was off school and who cares it's and like just, being in a steam room and you can't get out of it there's no exit foot loose and fancy free oh there's another oh. music so we're going to talk about music today well because summertime and the living is easy oh and and we've we've dealt with some serious shit, and it's we time have. to just you know take it down a notch and relax. I was thinking about I was thinking about when we decided we were going to do music, what would be some of the questions? Things like what what is your first what is your first recollection of music of any kind? ABBA, ABBA, and did I mention ABBA? All on 8-track. Get out. Uh, oh, from your dad, That right? That's right. Uh, road trips. Yep. Now, now I mean, <laughs> actually, dad played a lot of um, Johnny Cash, Hank Williams when I was little, little. And then suddenly, I remember dad, right around, I think I was about eight or nine, suddenly dad discovered rock. And suddenly... Well, I, I don't know if ABBA. <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay. No, but suddenly, right. su- suddenly, suddenly, there was Boston and Trooper on the road trips. Oh. Um, but it, but then there was the KTL, right? Twenty greatest Sounds hits, twenty the, greatest stars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And but 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 for me, it was uh, I, I I I don't know where ABBA came from for me because neither of my parents actually listened to ABBA. Uh, but I loved ABBA. I, as soon as I, dis- from my earliest memory, I had ABBA on 8-track, and I had my little blue 8-track player in my room, and I listened to ABBA all the time. Mine, <clears throat> a little, not, uh, Lawrence Welk. And wow. And there was this saxophone player on Lawrence Welk that during the, the they did their, well, Lawrence Welk being a big band, of course, but they were more of a dance thing. But every once in a while, they would get into this groove, right? And that sax, or not sax, the clarinet player. And I don't know who he was, but I'll have to thank my great-grandmother. So I was eight, maybe nine, maybe younger. And I, that's, that's the only thing I remember. Uh, it's the Lawrence Welk show. And it was always on before Disney. So we had to like watch. So I was living in the States. We had to watch the fucking Lawrence Welk show. So I could get five minutes of this cat swinging on the clarinet. And then I had to watch the rest of it. She would doze off. 
And you don't dare try and change the channel because she'd snap on and wake up. And see, see, the music variety show that my parents watched was the Tommy Hunter show. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And okay. so, so I, I also had right a steady diet of Al Cherney on the fiddle and that kind of stuff. And I, 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 I didn't, I didn't. It just didn't really grab me. It was just sort of a whole bunch of, even as a kid, it was like, okay, there's a whole bunch of hokey adults, and that's just not yeah, cool. Not but, my thing. But ABBA, I mean, those ladies and their vocals, and 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 those polyester suits, like I loved it. <laughs> I, I, I just loved the, I, I, I loved the sound of their voices. I loved the the the. the listening to ABBA now is that I mean even the fun pop songs just have this very and when I say musical I mean like in a stage musical there's there's a very um uh it's just big sound Mm -hmm. and uh and 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 yeah my little eight track player just seemed the music just seemed to fill the room and that's that's what I grew to love and and uh uh but I mean, I, I again, I grew up in the Northwest Territories. There wasn't, I didn't have cable till I was twelve, um, and so I mean, whatever the CBC would play every once in a while. I remember the first time I think I was twelve. The CBC one one evening, I don't know why, played "Games Without Frontiers" by Peter Gabriel. I heard that song and I went, "Now what in the absolute fuck is that?" But I love it. I love it. It was just so weird. My, I'd have to, you know, like from from that early early exposure to jazz, big band. Uh, Then I remember my mom. You know how you know when we get melancholy, right? We play tunes either to try and drag us out of that. And I was going to say music. Music helps that. So today I was like grumpy. I was angry at people. And I went back to the, my office and I sat down and I put on some tunes. And it was cool. And I was listening to, I can't remember, but I noticed the receptionist caught me like just grooving on the, <laughs> tapping on the, on the desk, right? Listening to whatever. So my day ended, changed because I listened to music. My mom would, who suffered a great deal, used to put on Roy Orbison and Elvis Presley. And I knew she was not in a good space whenever that music came on. But I love the I love Roy Orbison. I'm not a big Elvis fan, but I love Roy Orbison. And and I my parents listened to that stuff and and I I I I I love it. I appreciate it, but it it just doesn't it never completely grabbed me. I I I guess just because I um by the time I again that I hit 11 12 13 I like I just wanted new and modern and of course I mean I turned 13 in 1981 right so um right the whole new wave thing was happening and then and then the whole second British invasion happened and and everything got kind of really techno and fresh and modern and I mean now it sounds really dated but like a song like Gary Newman's Cars and Devo's Whip It Uh I I was like like this this is music from outer space (laughs) (laughs) I never I could never I was trapped in this sort of time warp as far as so in 80, 81 you said 81 yeah, 81 I was what uh, 17 17 yeah 17 and uh, I was like no no I still want I still want to hear you know my Zeppelin my Floyd my Stones my Beatles uh, 81 uh, hang on Billy Joel yeah. had a song for you from Glass Houses it's still rock and roll to me is that's is that oh, what you're yeah. saying 1980 yeah yeah it's all rock and roll to me yeah although there were some things I loved burning down the house uh, yeah. I loved uh, Roxy music you know and I remember when that stuff was coming I wasn't a new wave I could not I could not wrap my head around the whole punk 
movement. I wasn't very metal. If it was hard rock, right? Uh, I could I could get into it. What was your first concert? Platinum Blonde. Really? That's right. Mine? Triumph. <laughs> so there we go. Power, Canadian bands. Two two power trio. Um, and you know, and we were we were you were teasing me about don't even go there about Triumph and Rush and da 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 da. <laughs> when I listen to now, when I listen to Triumph and I listen to Rush, I'm like, oh, that's what Neil means. <laughs> there's no comparison there's, as, there's far, really as no. far as musicality goes. I, I, I mean, I actually think Triumph is is a bit of an underrated band, and they do have some good songs. Mm-hmm. I, I, I will give them that, but w- I don't use this word very often, but derivative. <laughs> Triumph is derivative. I mean, it's it's there, there's nothing really original. It's like, hey, we want to be Rush, but we want to do it our way. Now, I mean, the thing is, is that I mean, some musical acts over the years have been very successful. We want to be that band. Heart, Anna, Nancy Wilson. They just wanted to be Led Zeppelin. <clears throat> But you know what? They were fucking awesome at it, and they did it their way, mm-hmm. and that's why it worked. I'm really, I'm really. When you mentioned Led Zeppelin, I'm really, uh, <clears throat> I am, uh, I'm finding a new appreciation each time I listen to their stuff or I see an interview with now the Stones being my favorite band. I don't know if they'll if they'll ever be replaced in my heart. In my head, I'm thinking, yeah, there's some bands that are better than these guys, and yep. I don't want to think that way because my heart is like, you treacherous bastard. But, uh, you know, on any given day, I can say, that's, that's oh, you know, that's my favorite one. That's my favorite one. You know? It's, it, it, it's hard <clears throat> because I, I'm with you on any given day, I'll, especially if I'm looking at the classic bands it'll be Pink Floyd and then the next day it'll be Zeppelin and then the next day it'll be Rush and then the next day it'll be, uh, you know, screw those old guys. It'll be now I'm into, you know, the 80s and 90s and suddenly now I'm saying, you know, Roxy Music or Kate Bush. Which is now considered classic rock. And and what is the stuff that I listened to when I was younger is now oldies. Yeah. I feel I feel I feel privileged. Well, I, I, we were talking. Uh, I, I was talking with a friend about the tragically hip, and I mean, if Gord Downing were still alive, the tragically <coughs> hip. Well, I mean, the tragically hip is is now classic rock. I, I, I mean, even though they you know they put out their first EP I think in '87, and then their first record in '88 or '89. Um, I have a funny tragically hip story. So my second year of university, the start of it, so September 1987, I attended Carleton in, in Ottawa, did the journalism program there, and got back into town and uh, went to see my friend Wanda that I'd got to know uh, in first year, and Wanda was from Kingston, same place as the hip. Mm-hmm. And Wanda and I had always kind of... You know, flirted with each other and kind of, you know, sort of did that little dance, but nothing ever really happened. And anyway, and she was kind of wanting to hang out with me and she's, and, but I was a music snob, but she thought, you know, I'll kind of try and rope them in with some music. Hey, there's a band playing at the quad. You should stick around. And I said, well, who is it? She said, oh, it's a band from my hometown. The Tragically Hip. And I said, what kind of fucking name for a band is that? They'll never amount to anything. I distinctly remember saying they'll never amount to anything. Well, boy, that was before. So contempt prior to investigation. Absolutely. And (laughs) and contempt based on the name of the band. Yeah. You know, I I never got into the hip. Never really got into them. Yeah. I appreciate their music. It's it's original. I, I, I enjoyed I saw them here the last time they were here. And... That was the first and only time I ever got to see them. Same here. And and I really I really couldn't I didn't care for the concert. I thought it sounded the same all the way through. Yep. Um but that's just me. I, I, I thought I, even at the time in twenty fifteen, I I remember going, Something's not right with Gord Downey. 
Like, it, it, I mean, he hadn't announced his, his brain cancer thing, mm-hmm. but he just seemed... And, and, and I just chalked it up. I mean, right? I mean, you know, these guys play a lot of shows, and I just chalked it up to an off night. Um, I thought the band was was tight. I just thought that he was he kind of mailed it in, and 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 I I hated that because I'd heard live recordings. I talked to friends who'd seen them m- many times live, going back to the late eighties, the nineties, the two thousands, and we're like, ah, oh, they're the like they you know blow the ceiling off the joint they're great you gotta go see them and then when i saw them i was like meh meh it just goes to show you that we don't know when we don't know the full story it's a it's a lesson in tempering expectations absolutely right yeah Yeah. i don't know the whole story i don't know what's what's the most disappointing show you ever saw where you were just absolutely jacked, this was going to be a life-changing moment, and then you saw the show and went, oh, man. It was actually a show that I never saw. What? Yeah, I was at it, and I never saw it. It was Alice Cooper in Exhibition Stadium, The Riot, and... Uh, I he didn't show up, so there was, a, and I just ran away because <laughs> there, <laughs> there was a riot. Because <clears throat> there was a riot, and it's like it's a riot. Run! And there's cops with horses, and and you know, part of me being this little anti-authoritarian, oh, I want to fucking, you know, I'm angry, and and and, but mostly the, you know, um, what is it? Something about the be- is the better part of valor. Retreat or surrender or something yeah. is the better part of valor. Yeah. It's like, I'll live to fight another day. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, so Alice Cooper, um, I, I would have to say I haven't been very disappointed. Um, the Stones in Buffalo, New York, George Thorgood, George Thorgood opened for them, and uh, I was disappointed. George Thorgood blew them off the stage. Is that right? Yeah, Rich Stadium, Buffalo. Yep. It was the Some Girls... Some girls tour. Isn't that where uh, the Bills play? Yeah. 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 The so so Bills. big venue. It was a big venue. Yeah. Yeah. I saw them again in. I saw the Stones again in Winnipeg, and it was uh, it was a much better concert. Um, and I remember, I remember, you know, there's this kid walking up the aisle. And he's like, oh, hi, Mr. and Mrs. Jones. Hey, my parents are just down here. And I'm like, oh, God. I, I don't know. <laughs> Everything's changed. Yeah. Right? You can't. Everybody holds out phones now. It used to be lighters. You'd hold up the yeah. lighters. You had venues like Maple Leaf Gardens. Uh, oh, actually, B.B. Gabor, Gatto, and... Um, um, uh, Kim Mitchell's band uh, before he went solo. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It starts with an M. Max Webster. Max Webster. There we go. So B.B. Gabor, Gatto, and Max Webster, New Year's Eve, Maple Leafs Gar- Gardens, I fell asleep. So that was the worst. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Did it have to do with chemicals? I I can neither confirm nor, nor deny because I. <laughs> I can't really remember. <laughs> but it was a disappointment. I was yeah. I was really disappointed. Yeah, I, I I saw the first the first really big show I ever saw. I, and again, I grew up in small towns and right northwest territories in the Okanagan. First really big show I ever saw um, was still one of the best shows I ever saw. Um, Peter Gabriel. On the So Tour, 1986, in the Ottawa Civic Center, which that's where the 67s played. So it held about 12,000, 13,000 people. What an amazing show. Um, it was just absolutely amazing. Uh, at the end of, and that was at the start of my university career. At the end of my university career, April 1990, I saw REM at the old Montreal Forum. That was my most disappointing show. Um, REM had just transition right they had just signed their major label record deal and suddenly they had gone from playing small theaters you know maybe a couple thousand maybe three thousand and suddenly they were playing arenas and and mentally they and it was it was the beginning of the tour mm-hmm. they were i i had never seen a band scared shitless <laughs> on stage and and it wasn't just me my friends and i were like look at those fuckers up there they're fucking terrified they're scared 
And it's like, just play the tunes. That's what we're here for. Just play the tunes. Just play the tunes. Nobody, just play. Just play and just sing it and it'll be fine. And and that was the one where their opening act, um, a female acoustic duo, the Indigo Girls, also from Georgia, um, went out there, just the two of them with their acoustic guitars and blue REM off the fucking stage. They were fantastic. Their voices just filled the place. You, you'd think that two people with, with acoustic guitars would go and in that big a venue would be totally lost. People wouldn't care. By the time they were done, people were just like, these, these girls are amazing. They're fantastic. They did a song. Uh, Michael Stipe came out and did a song with them uh, called Kid Fears. Yeah. Every it just slayed everybody because it, it, there's a three part harmony that goes on with that song and it it is amazing, um, yeah. So that would the Indigo Girls were fantastic, but REM sucked. <laughs> I am. Um, I have to add into that uh, um, the Bob Dylan show here and a disappointing a dis- disappointment yeah see see i went yeah. in with i went in with very low expectations it's bob yeah. dylan he's gonna do whatever the fuck he wants uh, yeah i i agree but i mean i, I put you know uh, when you pay that much <laughs> ticket prices <laughs> <laughs> ticket prices because well that let's face it that's where that's where these guys make their money it, 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 merchandise it merchandise and ticket prices now so that's why and i was telling lisa we're gonna have lisa redpath as our first guest when maybe next week maybe it's next gonna week. be it's gonna be it's gonna be epic it's gonna be rant it's gonna be it's gonna be a rant rant session yeah. I, I love rants and, oh, and, good. and you know who does rants well lisa redpath <laughs> so uh, no, I uh, I was telling Lisa five dollars. We used to go to Ontario Place for five bucks. Um, and who would play in the springtime in Toronto? Ontario Place five bucks. They had this. It's called the Forum, and it was wooden benches, and it was a revolving stage. BB King five bucks. Wow. Nothing beat that. That was, that was my. I don't know where I got my blue my love of the blues from, but that could have been part of it um it could have been who knows my family this i don't know this redneck good old boy shit i got flowing around in my veins right uh who knows um but nowadays like and then when bb king was here what were tickets 85 85 dollars for like somewhere out there yeah. See, see, and that's just it. Is, is that sometimes the, the ticket price? It it really does. I, I had the opportunity. Um, uh, I was through work um, attending an American Press Institute conference in L.A. and. It's back when papers made money and they could send they editors could send, to yeah. conferences in L.A. And um, anyway, I was going to L.A. And so, of course, I had to look up what shows were in town. Oh, my God. The night I arrive, the Eagles with the Dixie Chicks as the opener at at the time, the brand new Nokia Center. And I was like, oh, my God, I have to go. Oh, my God. It's $250. Seriously? U.S. Did you? <laughs> I I did not go. No. I I, I just couldn't. Uh, yeah, I I just I just couldn't. I was uh, I was in Vegas and uh, uh, I got sent to Ve- I got sent to Vegas when companies could afford to send their graphic artists to go learn about new print you know yeah. stuff. David George sent us down to Vegas to learn about some new printing stuff, and Santana was playing at the House of Blues. I've seen Santana, but this was, this was, I saw Santana pre-Supernatural, and I love Supernatural. I love what he did with that, and I, and I, sure, he got a lot of Grammys, but that's a really good, Supernatural, I think everything that's come after that is better than his older stuff for the most part and i'm like wow i really want to you know but it was 150 dollars at the, for the house of blues you got dinner you got to sit at a table and you got a drink 
but that was 150 US that I didn't have to spend. Was I disappointed? Yeah, but uh, I mean, I've got good memories of. Yeah. It was just the reason I want to get a set of Congos, Congas, is because of this old guy. We were Canada's Wonderland, saw Santana, and this old guy was just going on the Congos, on the on the Congas, and uh, I've always wanted a set of Congas. Can't play them, but what the hell. <laughs> They're fun to look at. Yeah. I saw Fleetwood Mac in 2004. So without Christine McVie, but yeah. Stevie Nixon and, and Lindsey Buckingham and John McVie and McFleetwood, obviously. Um, that was the Peacekeeper tour. I saw them in Spokane. So that was a fantastic venue to see them because, again, not a huge stadium. Again, about 12,000, 13,000. Um, I was ninth row floor directly in front of Lindsey Buckingham. Mm. That was a spiritual experience for me. You, We were talking just before uh, the show, and you you said he's in your top three most underrated guitar players. He, he is an amazing guitar player. And, and, and the thing is, the thing that I always, that I liked about Fleetwood Mac, um, I remember when the dance came out, that was kind of their comeback there in the in the mm-hmm. 90s when they first got back together. And then Christine McVie decided, okay, that was fun, but I don't really want to do that again. And then, right, and anyway, uh, and then she retired again for 20 years. But what I always liked about watching their live stuff, and, and it was very much the case when, uh, when I saw them live myself, was that um, they might be faking it, but they really do sincerely look like they're, it's not so much they're having a good time. It's more that just how appreciative they are. That is like, man, we put this stuff out 20, 30 years ago and you guys are still coming out. And we're rich because of it. And so thanks. Like, like, like when, Lindsay, when Lindsay and Stevie thanked the crowd after, after playing one of their big hits, you could tell they honestly meant it. At least that's what it felt like to mm-hmm. me. Maybe it's just a polished act, and they were like, eh, another show, and here we are in Spokane. Yeah. But it didn't feel that way. I think watching Mick Fleetwood drum is a pretty wild experience. That He's a, he's a wild, like he loves, you can see on his face, the he, expressions, he loves to drum. He loves to he play. Loves to and, 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 and how could you not love to be a drummer when... You got John McVie on your right side and Lindsey Buckingham on your left side. I'd love to drum for those guys too. I can't drum, and I would love to drum for them. <laughs> but, but but that's but that's what I mean is that I I think when you and I think that's why so many of these guys still love going back on the road because it's like well I mean obviously the money but aside from the money it's like I'm I'm, I'm playing with these great players even if I per, you know e- even if there's the acrimony and of course with some of them it, it is like a it is like a marriage after uh, uh I, I love how Neil Peart used to refer to uh, uh in his books would refer to Alex Lyson and Getty Lee in his books as the guys from work <laughs> right because it was a job uh and it was a job they took very seriously but at the same time he loved the guys he worked with, and, and it was an honor to play for them. It, you know, and I, and, and I listen to interviews with Keith Richards, and he talks, he, he, he speaks that way of Mick Jagger, right? He spoke that way of Mick Taylor. When Mick Taylor played, played with him, he said, Mick has his own thing to do. I love playing with him. I would still keep playing with him if I could, but he had to go. Now, his relationship with Mick, of course, is a little more contentious because it's that creative friction that the Glimmer Twins write some pretty good stuff from. Um, But yeah, same thing. He says, like, some days he's just a fucking asshole right and i think brothers go through that and if you've been together for as long as they've been together yeah what's your what artists we we talked about separating in in a in an earlier episode we talked about separating the art from the artist who has disappointed you what artist has disappointed you on whatever, either morally or spirit, whatever you want to say? 
the most which which one i mean they're all they're all eventually going to let you down it's <laughs> there's my cynicism but um I, I i tend not to try and get too too involved with you know you know where a band might stand politically or anything mm. like that I, I mean i mean mind you some acts i mean right there's a long history in, in popular music and of course rock of of you know protest music and that sort of thing and and so i i, I find i can enjoy a, even if i disagree with the politics i can still uh, appreciate the music I, I i more get disappointed when bands just kind of keep doing the same thing over and over and over again that now having said that that can be done quite skillfully hello acdc mm, mm-hmm. basically made the same album for 40 years except <laughs> that for whatever reason it it never at, at least to my ears it, it never got old and i don't even consider myself that big of an acdc fan but it so so i never got disappointed with acdc I, it, it was like just going to get a hamburger you you, you knew you were getting you knew, a, <laughs> you knew you were getting a burger and bun and some cheese were you gonna and, get fries or were you gonna get onion rings that was exactly the <laughs> exactly yeah. but 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 I, I i guess i i have been disappointed with with artists that that i've I've really sort of held this top shelf, and and then when they put out something substandard, um, and, and I guess I appreciate them trying to release, to, or to, you know, to to try and and do some other stuff, but you know when I, some of the stuff Neil Young put out uh, in the eighties, I was I saw one of the um, some some of the stuff David Bowie. Put out the album he put out after Let's Dance. Uh, what's that album called? Tonight, Cat. Oh, um, he did the he it, did it, the score it, for Cat People. Yeah, right? yeah. But he put he put out a right. I mean, Let's Dance, of course, was a massive hit for him in '83, and then he comes back in '84 with this record, and it was almost like he just wanted to piss everybody off. And I was like, "Fuck you, dude! Like, come on, you're killing me here." Uh, but I, you know, I guess with people like David Bowie and Neil Young, and and I could name other other artists, it, it just seems that they just wanted to, I don't know, you know, defy expectations just for the sake of defying expectations. Sometimes, the Who for me. Yep. The Who. Um, after the Who became a joke. After after Moon died, right? Mind you, and I don't know why he's considered one of the greatest drummers. I I can't I I can't detect any <clears throat> any difference between him and just an average drummer really to be honest aside from getting crazy and kicking but i saw the final concert in maple leaf gardens the fair the quote-unquote farewell right (laughs) and i'm like how many farewell you know now my my friend my friend dennis who's just a music just loves music uh he says i'm going to see the who and i'm like no you're going to see like maybe a w and an h from the who and not even that right like and to me it just seems like they oh we need a few bucks we should just throw together a reunion thing and and right you know i'm zeppelin tried it and they and they uh they used uh John Bonham's son, but Jason. But, but that was a one gig thing, and that was for yeah. to honor a special person in yeah. their life, and and they were offered a hundred million dollars to go on tour, and, and, they were, and they were like, nope, no, thank yeah. you. And I think that was the best thing they ever did. Now the Stones, I'm like, wonder, I wonder. Okay, Bill Wyman left. Okay, that was kind of iffy, but I think if. Here's a here's a little bit little bit of trivia. Sorry, I'm gonna just go off here a little uh, drummer for Genesis. Phil Collins. Yep. You know who's in his top ten as far as drummers? Who's that? Charlie Watts. Charlie Watts, jazz drummer. He's yep. originally a jazz yep. drummer. And, and, uh, and I've heard a, a Charlie Watts jazz album. And I'm like, I don't know. Okay, maybe. Right. Um, Charlie Watts' special gift was to realize who was in front of him. Yeah, and he when, just when, when, when you've got Mick and Keith in front of you, your job is to fucking keep time and sit in the pocket and shut up. 
Yeah. And and and, and as far as as drummers. Eh. I'm a fan of drummers. I'm a frustrated drummer in that I'd like to be a drummer, but I'm not. Um, I study drummers. I, stu- I study drumming. Mm-hmm. Charlie Watts is is a fantastic drummer because he sits in the pocket. Um, in hockey terms, that would be a stay-at-home defenseman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can go to the Hall of Fame as a stay-at-home defenseman, and Charlie Watts is, should be in the Drumming Hall of Fame as a stay-at-home drummer. He sits in that pocket, he keeps it tight, and he just he he is the rock on which Mick and Keith sit. I think um, I think they should. I hate to say it, but I think they're getting to. I think they're getting a little long in the tooth. Neil. You think? <laughs> but I know that when you watch them, even now at seventy some years old, they give. They, they give one hundred percent when they can't do that anymore. I think it's time to. Genesis. Right. Genesis. Speaking of Phil Collins, has announced the last Domino tour. Mm-hmm. Um, they had actually had hoped to... Okay, they were going to get Gabe. They wanted to bring Gabriel in on that, yeah, didn't they? Yeah, they, they wanted to bring Gabriel in on it, and he's just not up for it. Um, I, I mean, I think it would have been absolutely fascinating. I, it, let's put it this way. I would have been far more interested if they could have got Gabriel in and Steve Hackett in. And Steve Hackett continues to tour, right? Their original guitarist mm-hmm. continues to tour. He's put out... A dozen or more solo records. He's he's a fantastic guitarist. Uh, continues to play small clubs and theaters all over Europe and is revered as as a guitarist, uh, both just in the regular guitar world and in the prog world. Um, put the five of them. So in other words, the original Genesis lineup. Okay, mm. now I'm interested. But I don't know the the. The, the trio there, Phil Collins, Tony Banks, Mike Rutherford. Eh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just Phil Collins, pretty much. Mike Rutherford, not bad. Yeah. Not bad, but it's really the Phil Collins show. It, it's it's the Phil Collins show. And the thing is, he's not going to play that much drums, um, right? It, they'll bring in Chester Thompson or whoever to play drums, and Phil will be in the front most of the time. He'll go in the back to play a little bit, and then mostly he'll be up front singing. And... Um, gifted singer, um, but yeah, I like him as a drummer better. What What do you think? I was thinking about this. The most, the one thing that that had the greatest impact on music, like not just not just rock and roll, but music. Like, what was the one thing that had the greatest? What do you think had the greatest impact on music? Um, I, I, I'll, I'll just make it personal rather than to try and kind of, uh, for me, it was Live Aid, mm. right? In July, 1985. Um, and, and again, I, I was 17 years old, um, but I didn't actually see Live Aid until six weeks after it happened mm. because it was July 13th, but I was... 17 years old and working as a laborer at, at a shipping yard in Tuktoyaktuk. True story. So my sister, two years younger than me, taped it on like a whole bunch. I, I, I think it took up about five or six VCR tapes. And she was very diligent. We had MTV at home and she was very diligent about swapping them out. And uh, Oh yeah, because she got to see the whole so, thing. So I got to see the whole yeah, thing yeah, uh, six yeah. weeks later, but I got to see it. And it was, I, I, I guess it was just one of those things where, I mean, now we kind of look back and it was actually quite politically incorrect in many ways. I mean, the whole, uh, you know, do they know, it, you know, do they know it's no, Christmas? No, they don't fucking care. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> The, the the lyrics were, you know, from 2021, looking back to 1984, like horribly politically incorrect. But, you know, Bob Geldof and, you know, they... They, 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 they were they, trying to do the right they, thing. They were just trying to do the right yeah. thing. And and and, uh, um, I, and and I just saw it like as far as a spectacle, as far as Phil Collins playing... Uh, an early set at Wembley so he could fly on the Concorde to Philadelphia to play drums backing Led Zeppelin. I didn't know he did that. He did that. Uh, and uh, when uh, when they put out, 
I think this was about 15, 20 years ago, they finally got around to actually putting out like a DVD of Live Aid. Uh, Jimmy Page refused to release the, the, the Zeppelin thing because he was drunk as a skunk. Um, and if you go and watch it on YouTube, it's before, it was terrible. I was thinking, oh, like, I, I remember watching it. I don't remember Phil Collins coming and backing, right? Um, and to me, it's like, wow, that's like bringing Howdy Doody in to play the Terminator. I just don't. See, <laughs> I mean, see, Phil Collins is good. See, but Phil Collins had, the, the connection there was Phil Collins had, had played on... I think at that by that point Robert Plant had three solo albums and and Phil Collins had played on all three of them. Who was the drummer in the Honey Drippers? I can't remember. I can't remember. They only had one song and that was a cover. Yeah, sea of, sea of Love. Love. Yeah, it always remind me of some girl. I think there's some woman out there that I reminded. I can't remember who. <laughs> yeah. Um, mine would have to be the invention of the pho- the phonograph recording. Because I think it then democratized. Oh, you're doing big picture. I'm going I just big did this picture. Personal yeah, you one. did yeah. personal. I'm like big picture, and I think, I think that be, the ability to record music it, it democratized it and, it, and it and it made it available to the masses. Be, because if I, I mean, if I were to pick an invention, um, I, I would say when music became digitized. Um, right is, is that Brothers in Arms by Dire Straits 1985 that was one of the very first records to be uh, at, at the time if you remember right the compact discs they were sort of just the new thing mm-hmm. and, and if you remember back in the day um, it would say on the compact disc it would either say AAD ADD or oh DDD. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and so Brothers in Arms by Dire Straits was a DDD, meaning it was digitally recorded, mixed, and mastered. There was no tape. There was no analog. And, I mean, they recorded it on, you know, Macintosh, uh, you know, the, the Mac 2E or Apple 2E mm-hmm. or whatever it was. They must have had a hell of a time recording it. Um Except that now to listen to it, holy does it sound crisp. It just has this. The, uh, <laughs> I, 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 but, but, but the thing is, is that purists hated it because it sounded so. I, 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 I don't know a word clean, to say. Too clean. Clear. It, 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 was, it was, it's clean to a fault. My, my, my buddy Nick, he's an audiophile. Right, so he had. I remember we blew his Harman Kardon amp and preamp. I still feel bad about that, Nick. If you're listening, we they had directional cables and we hooked it up backwards at a party. That was after I grabbed the 120 that was sticking out of the wall. (laughs) I didn't need anything for the rest of the night, and uh, so we blew that. But anyway, he he had the first uh, Panasonic CD player, right? One of the very first paid like an outrageous sum of money i don't know where he got the money i didn't want to know um we we worked in a gas station together so i couldn't figure out how he could afford that right so what did he buy he bought something called an expander so he could expand that sound he says so it could sound more like an album man i'm like why don't you just buy the fucking album and play it on your turntable right dire straits one of my favorite concerts varsity arena in toronto it it's a small venue of like eight maybe thousand it's where the varsity blue uh varsity where the marley's play the toronto marley's right. yeah and the university of toronto i don't know what their hockey team is um and stevie ray vaughn opened oh my god and the lights the lighting the whole lighting thing didn't work. It wasn't working. So it was like just a couple spots. You know what, man? It didn't matter. It didn't matter. One of my favorite guitarists, Mark Knopfler, I think he's, he, there's an underrated. He, in my top three of underrated guitarists. I, like Lindsey Buckingham, a finger player, not a picker. Yeah, right? yeah. Not, not a guy who plays with a pick, plays with fingers. So my three, my top three guitarists are probably... Stevie Ray, oh, no, I mean, you know, uh, I can't, I can't, do, I can't even do go down do there. Do we do could, it. we could do it. 
um, because I, I take issue with the Rolling Stones top 20, but I would say, yeah, like Mark Knopfler is right up there. When I listen to it, here's how I, this is how I decided that a, a certain piece of music or a certain artist is, is up there for me. It's like, I don't want this to stop. That's how I feel when Telegraph Road is on, and that song's 15 minutes long. I know, and I just want, like, I just, when he plays, I just like, oh, keep going, keep going. Santana, Carlos Santana, when I feel the need to create, when I want to, when I want, when I want to get that juices flowing, or uh, he's my musical muse. So when I hear that, I can, I can get into this place where, yeah. What's uh, th that's cool that Stevie Ray Vaughan opening for Dire Straits? What's the show you saw where the opening act was someone you had never heard of, but then became absolutely huge and even overshadowed the the headliner that night? Was there someone that you saw like that? I I, I have one. I can't think of one right now. I saw. Um, so right, I'm my my high school years, my teenage years were in Kelowna, um, and so um, a, a Kelowna band that made good and were only a few years older than me uh, were the Grapes of Wrath. Um, they went to KSS. I, I I had a cousin who actually graduated with one of the guys from Grapes of Wrath. Anyway, they you know signed a record deal. Tom Cochran produced uh, their first major label debut, and and you know they had some success in 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 the eighties and um, a band I still like. So when they came through Carlton, I think it was eighty seven, might have been early eighty eight. They came through. Of course, I'm going to see the Grapes of Wrath. And uh, who's this opener? Oh, this young nineteen year old girl from Halifax. Well, I'll check her out. Sarah McLaughlin. Hmm. She had so few songs of her own that she was covering Peter Gabriel's Salisbury Hill. That's one of my favorite Gabriel songs. And and she covered it beautifully, and I didn't really think of it. And then six months later, my sister saying, you got to listen to Sarah McLaughlin. I'm going, Sarah McLaughlin, where have I heard that name? Right? And then, of course, mm -hmm, Sarah McLaughlin mm -hmm. became Sarah McLaughlin. Yeah. No, I can't think of any... I can't think of any... Um, I can't think of anything, any of those, anything like that. Well, I was thinking also too about what was the most, what was the most tragic moment, personally, music moment for you? Um, you know, it, it, it's tough as 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 some of these these um, artists that made music that means so much to me have passed. Um, Neil Peart's death hit me hard. Mm, like I mm -hmm. felt like I lost like Uncle Neil, you know, just a, a guy whose just music had been so much part of my life and I had revered so much. I, I, I took it hard when Prince died. Uh, Prince was a huge part of my teen years. Um, I, you know, I, I went to heavy metal school. Uh, you know, it wasn't kind of a thing you kind of advertised if you were a guy and liked Prince. So um, I kind of kept Prince was my little secret mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. I really didn't even tell most of my friends. They would come over and I kind of push the Prince records to the back because oh, it's not cool to like, oh, you know all of the homophobic comments of the you know days yeah. gays this he's yeah. at it's disco whatever um i took it hard when tom petty died i because i was like oh man like that guy just had so many great tunes oh, i remember you know and and i remember when damn the torpedoes came out and i wanted a jacket just like he had on the cover that red cover i i remember that but that that was not his first he'd been around for like he'd yeah. been around for quite a while just like bruce springsteen yeah um i think the one of the most for me was uh um when steve ray vaughn died in the helicopter accident yeah that was a shock and um, I remember when I remember when, when Lennon died. I, I remember when when John Lennon was was shot and killed um, because uh, I was in grade six at the time, and 
the music teacher in grade six um could not hold it together the next day in school yeah it was a t- could that was a not tough hold one. it together that was a tough one uh, but i remember going to get the paper uh for my mom i was living in toronto i was 13 years old i was walking down going to get the toronto sun from the mail from the from the from the box and i think it was like a quarter yeah (laughs) (laughs) and the headline was elvis right to me that wasn't but for my stepmother that was devastating yeah yeah Yeah, i i i I remember my my mom actually being quite uh taken aback by Elvis. but again it it wasn't it was more just sort of okay this is a big cultural moment and as a kid i because I, i think elvis died the summer i was nine so i was like yeah. Yeah, it's 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 Elvis. Hey man, have you heard the new Prism song? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's hey, where Elvis I was died. at. Yeah, um yeah, I'm the I'm the same way and now I'm like I always joke around like we're gonna have to decide what kind of world we wanna leave re- Keith Richards, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I know that those moments are gonna come. You know, there's my so my musical heroes or my idols, um you know, when B.B. King died, to me, that was just a huge blow. And I know Buddy Guy is going, and there's so many other great bluesmen that aren't here any longer, right? Yeah. Um, and I know that... At uh, some point, Jimmy Page is going to die. Yeah, Keith Richards all is going to die. Guys Clapton gonna, yeah, is going to die. Yeah. Um, Bob Dylan is going to die. Yeah. And, and maybe, what's his name from the Beatles... Paul McCartney. <laughs> Paul McCartney. Ringo. Ringo was up. You know what? Um, I I listened to an interview with, I think it was Paul McCartney. He says, if it weren't for Ringo. There was another drummer who, who right. again, sat in the pocket. Yeah. But he had his little head shake and he was doing his thing, but he was there. And he said, and yeah, that's what McCartney said. He said, his timing yeah. was Im- impeccable. Yeah. Impeccable. Yeah, there was actually a, a documentary made where a lot of of modern drummers basically like said like Ringo could play. Uh, Dave Grohl was was part of that documentary. Um, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. The drummer for the Red Hot Chili Peppers, who's actually an excellent drummer. Um, anyway, uh, and and others said like Ringo just had. Like he just had a great feel, and again, when you're playing in front of Lennon, McCartney, and Harrison, man, it's your job to just keep time and just give it that just that nice feel. That's it. Nobody's expecting you to be Keith Moon or John Bonham. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Best aside from Rush, because I know you say Rush. Best Canadian band. Um, <laughs> that's funny because, uh, um. I was uh, at at the last moment. We we put out a Canada Day uh, thing in the paper uh, this week, and we had this little spot to fill. And uh, uh, Pierre, our new ad director, said, "Neil, just do a thing. Uh, top ten Canadian bands." Well, of course, <laughs> of course, I had to do oh. it. I had to do it in a way that. Why I, didn't she call me? <laughs> I, I I wanted to be provocative, right? So oh, okay. So so. The bottom half of the top 10 includes Winter Sleep, a band from Halifax that I love that is not well known. Yeah. Um, I included The New Pornographers, again, a band from Vancouver that's been around, both Winter Sleep and The New Pornographers. These bands have been around for 20 years. They're fantastic bands. They just don't get... uh, play on on rock radio. They're they're just a little little too different. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, except that they play rock. Um, but you know, yes, of course. You know, I had Rush, the Guess Who, the Tragically Hip. Da 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 da. Uh, I, I mean, a case. You know, I, I think once you get past, for me, you get past Rush. You got to you got to talk about the hip. You got to talk about the Guess Who. Uh, I, I I would say to me, there's no question that the Guess Who was the fir- the first great Canadian rock band. BTO. BTO. Did you put BTO, them on the list? Except BTO was the offshoot. That was the side thing after the Guess Who. <laughs> It was after the guess who was done. Come so, on. So musically. Burton Cummings and Randy, Randy Bachman. I mean, 
a super group before. Okay. That was a pretty cool band. Yeah, I saw both. The Guess Who at Molson Park. I, I didn't actually see the Guess Who. I was sitting. Well, no, I was. There sit, was a riot. I was there. No, no, I was there, and but I was sitting on the ground with a with a friend of mine. I mean, I'd get up and but mostly I sat down on the ground and listened to the music. And we were too far away, but we were there, right? And I think that's happened with a lot of lot of concerts. You know, you're there. Yeah. The music is great, and you talked about this about the show. Right about the show, and 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 now it's t- because the audiences have become so big for these large acts that the show is is the thing that those people that pay the tickets that are way out there, yeah, um, deserve to to see a good show. And and that's where I do have a lot of respect for whether they're a classic act or just really popular modern the ones that that really go out there and go you know if i'm going to play to 20,000 22,000 people i am going to i'm going to i'm going to give them something they've never seen and and where they they, they, they there's a there's just a pride they they just want to put on a spectacle um you know Taylor Swift again. I, I w- just watched the 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 concert on Netflix. Um, that, that's Texas Stadium, eighty thousand people, and she is playing for the people in the nosebleeds. Um, and and but it's just the spectacle. It's the moving to different stages and even different parts of the stadium, just so people who are. A hundred yards away, suddenly are in the front row, and just different things like that. That, um, and again, and I mean the technology now, both with the the sound quality, but just the light quality, the lighting design, the stage design is just so much more sophisticated now. That I, I mean, it is amazing what some of these live acts can do. Uh, good Lord, Stephen Wilson has a curtain, uh, and he's done this for the last 10 years, has played with a curtain in front of the stage um, because it, it lets it, you can shine things on it and it looks mm-hmm. like holographs, yeah. right? That's cool. Remember when we thought, you know, I, the, the coolest thing I ever saw was when, when the... Uh, ZZ Top tour when they took the the console of the of their Plymouth um, whatever hot rod yeah the Eliminator car the yeah. Eliminator car and it switched to the cockpit of the space shuttle behind yeah. them right that to me was the coolest thing at that time now yeah now there's things that that uh, uh, just blew my mind yeah and 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 i appreciate i mean i'm not a motley crew fan but when i heard that you know tommy lee the you know they raise the drum kit and then turn it upside down and he's still playing a solo yeah that's ridiculously over the top but you know what full marks for entertaining the fans full marks for playing upside down yep not that would not be an easy how does your top hat how do you (laughs) anyways uh next next episode oh okay what's your we're gonna we're gonna take off shortly here uh what's your playlist uh, my playlist is just going to be uh summer music i, I there's just so much I, I i would say that is that there's just a lot of music um for me that that when when i'm down and when i'm ornery um and it's and it's not just necessarily like feel good shiny happy people uh, mm-hmm. music. It, it is uh, um, sometimes it it's it's just music that just has this just warmth to it, and 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 music that you you just want to drive down the road with the window down and your arm on the side, and you just one armed on the wheel, and you want the highway to last forever. And that's that's the music that's going to be on my playlist. I'm okay. I I may pick up that that um, and go with uh, yeah those those songs that remind me of summers distance and maybe not so distant and and, and right. maybe and maybe summers misspent. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, which one was? That? <laughs> there were so many. We're gonna have Lisa Red Path. 
next week? I, I, I sure hope that Lisa Redpath comes on next week because when Lisa calls me on the phone, I don't know about you, but when she calls me on the phone, it's always around, and I love it. Oh, I know. She's like, did you hear? I'm like, I'm like no, I haven't, but you're going to tell me. But you're so. going to tell me. <laughs> and we have we disagree on something, which doesn't yes. happen very often. Yes. We'll get to that maybe next week. Yeah, a little teaser for little, next week. little bylaw stuff. Local stuff. You've been listening to Everything Everything with Neil Godbu and Michael Cast. Everything Everything is produced at the Arch North Podcast Studio in downtown Prince George, British Columbia. If you want to check out our playlists, look for the link in the description of this episode. I'm Michael Cast for Everything Everything. Everything.